Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. It's a big weekend this weekend. You guys having fun so far? You guys enjoying yourselves a little bit? I hope so. I sincerely hope so. I mean, I really do. We're honoring teachers and educators in our community this weekend. We've got baptism this weekend. It's a throwback weekend. And from what I've seen, I don't know what you're seeing at the other campuses or online. It looks like we took a lot of the stylistic choices from In Living Color, Seinfeld, all that from Nickelodeon, then like an Alice in Change grunge concert. And we put them in a bag and just shook them and said, go to church. So... Welcome to Emmanuel. I hope you guys are having a fantastic weekend. My name's Cody Johnson. I'm the Emmanuel Church Greenwood Campus Pastor. Delighted to be with you. If you're joining us online here at Greenwood, Banta, Garfield Park, Franklin, no matter where you're at, we appreciate you so much. We hope you're having a fantastic day. And we're actually kickstarting a brand new series this week. It's called No Regrets. But before we get into the content for the series and talk about what we're going to be discussing for the next four weeks, I do want to address the elephant in the room. Pastor Danny is back from his summer study break, but earlier this week, Pastor Danny and his lovely wife, Jackie, got some very difficult news. Pastor Danny and Jackie have both contracted COVID. And so right now they are at home, they are resting, they're trying to heal up and get better. I actually had a 30 minute conversation with Pastor Danny on the phone on Friday. He texted me last night. He sounds great, said he's feeling better, but we thought it would be the wisest choice to keep him away from the church so they can just stay at home and focus and get healthy. So... I got a little call earlier this week and they're like, how would you feel about giving the message? And after breaking out in a cold sweat, I said, I will give it my best shot. So that's why we're doing it right now. And we're gonna kick off the series. So yeah, there well, we go. <clears throat> Don't clap yet, it could be terrible. <laughs> we're gonna kick off the series and it's called No Regrets, this idea of of regret. And the big idea that we're going to talk about over the course of the next four weeks is simply this. We all have regrets in life. All of us. It's part of the human condition. It's part of the human experience. How many of you would be honest enough with yourself and your neighbor, watch online, all of our other campuses, to be able to raise your hand and say, yep, I got some regrets right now. I've got some regrets. Anybody? Regrets? Raise them high. Let's see them. Yes, absolutely. Don't lie in church. I get it. We all have regrets. We all have regrets. And what is the definition of regret that we're going to be operating with over the course of the next four weeks? It's this, the feeling of sorrow over an action or inaction. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. Well, on the flip side, man, I didn't do this and I should have. Oh, I'm such a numbskull. Why did I do this? And some of you have regrets over very specific things. Some of you have written emails before and you CC'd the wrong person. And maybe we CC'd the boss. That never goes well. You get that ice ball in your stomach. Am I going to get fired? Are they going to yell at me? How's this going to go? Some of us have regrets in a relationship. Maybe you asked out the wrong person. Now you can't get rid of them. That's a tough regret. Some of you might be dealing with that right now. They might be sitting right next to you. Man, that's awkward. I hope that's not you. I really do. Well, we all have regrets. And we, all, we have a ton of regrets in a, in a variety of different ways. But what we want to identify and what we want to try to talk about, is it possible for us to walk forward and move forward in life 
and live a life that lowers or decreases the amount of regret we have? Can we eliminate regrets entirely? And does Jesus believe that we can do this? So it's our belief that yes, it is possible and we believe that this is biblical as well. But before we continue, we need to identify the most significant source of regret. There's so many sources of regret out there, but what's the big one? It's our belief that it is this. The most significant source of regret is settling. Settling. It's this idea that, yes, yeah, good enough. That'll do. That'll be good enough. Is it my best? Eh, probably not, but we're just going to lay right here. This should be fine. It's when you mow the grass and all the lines are crooked and there's patches everywhere. Like, yeah, that'll be all right. That's this idea of settling, right? And we settle in so many different areas of our lives. We settle, we settle in the different areas of relationships. Like maybe we have these ideas in our head, like it's always going to be this way, or I'm never going to be able to get out of this certain spot. Or maybe it, it, I'm just this way and fill in the blank. But with relationships, we settle in a ton of different ways. Like maybe it's this idea that, well, there's no good ones out there. They're all gone. They're all taken up. They're all married. They're all dating somebody. There's no good ones out there. I'll just take whoever the internet brings me on the app, whoever somebody tries to set me up with, and I'll just settle. Even if our values and our core ideas about Jesus and our relationships are off, I'll just settle. That's just where I'll land with my relationships. Maybe we do this with our finances as well. Maybe you and I have both done this. I'm never gonna be able to get out of debt, ever. I'm always gonna have debt. It's always gonna be this way, so we just settle. We swipe and we charge and we don't try to get out of debt because maybe we never received any coaching on how to do that, so this is just the way things are and we've accepted it and we've settled. Maybe you've done this with your health. You know, I'm all, I've always been big boned. I've always been a little big. Shopped in the husky size when I was younger and it just kind of kept going. We've always been a little bit big. Or I'm never gonna be able to run a half marathon. I'm never gonna be able to work out consistently. I'm never gonna be able to eat broccoli on a regular basis. <laughs> and we do this with our spiritual life too sometimes, don't we? We see and hear this a lot, and you probably heard it in your small groups. I'm never gonna be the type of person that reads the Bible consistently. That's just not gonna be me. And so I settle for this in and out, kind of half in, half out, lukewarm relationship with God I'm always gonna be the person who's the follower. I'm never gonna be a small group leader because I don't believe I have that inside of me. And we just kind of settle in that area. But why do we settle? Like if we know that this is the most significant source of regret in our lives, why would we do this to ourselves? Well, there's tons of different reasons. Maybe we don't know any better. No one's come along and told us that something better is available. Maybe we don't have any clarity with where we wanna go. We're just kind of existing and walking in and out of life. We don't really have any goal or any aim for what we wanna do either in our own lives or in the lives of other people. Maybe it's hard to change and it's hard to get out of the settlement that we've made with ourselves. It takes effort to go beyond where we are currently. And some of us just quite frankly don't feel like doing the work. But maybe no one has called you out on it. Maybe no one has sat down face to face with you and said, I know you're settling. I know you could be more. Why aren't you being more? This is actually something that I experienced personally. I experienced this in college. Like you, I have settled. I am no different. I've settled in a ton of different areas of my life. But when I was in college and I was trying to think about an example to share with you guys, I was thinking about my major, which was rhetoric. I was a rhetoric major. And as part of being a rhetoric major, man, you give a lot of speeches and a lot of presentations. It was just four years of me just talk, talk, talking. Did a lot of talking. And the problem with the way that I used to give presentations and the way I used to give speeches was I just kind of settled on being the funny guy. That's where I landed. That was very comfortable for me. I just settled there because a long time ago when I was a chubby elementary school kid, somebody told me, hey, it's obvious you've seen Tommy Boy about 50 times. You're a funny dude. <laughs> and so that was just it. Anytime I did a presentation or a skit in class, the whole goal was to be funny. There was no depth, no breadth, no content, nothing like that. We're just gonna be funny. 
And so I get to college and I'm in my second year taking a rhetoric 201 course. And I have this new professor and he and I don't really know each other. We're about a month into the, the projects and, and the assignments and we get this assignment and we're going to give a critical analysis over a piece of media through speech. And so I got all the, I went to an all guys school and all these guys are picking like political topics. They're picking current events. They're picking news articles, like all this depth. You know what I picked? A song by Prince. <laughs> like the artist formerly known as Prince. That was my topic. That's what I chose to speak on. I stuck out a whole lot. And I, I accomplished my goal. We laughed. We had a good time. But my professor was very disappointed in me. Super disappointed. So disappointed, in fact, that he called me into his office during his regular office hours. And he wanted to have a conversation about the way things were going. He and I had never done this before. I was a first-generation college student. I didn't really have a relationship with professors like this, so I didn't really know what to expect. So I go in. We exchange pleasantries. We're talking. He's asking me about my family. Oh, you never, you know, family didn't go to college. You're the first one. That's really cool. Great. And all of a sudden, he just stops. Maybe you've met a person like this where when they smirk, you know, man, the bad news is coming. And I felt this because he just kind of sat there for a little bit. And he cocked his head and he just kind of smiled. And he was just kind of rocking back and forth in his chair. And he looked me dead in the eye and he said, so you're funny. And he just let it hang. And I'll never forget the cadence in his voice and the way it rose and the way it fell. So you're funny. And he wasn't asking, he wasn't making a statement, he was making an assessment. And I'll tell you what he was trying to say. He was trying to say, I've seen the way you speak, I've seen the way you conduct yourself, and I know that you've settled on You've settled for funny. And that's who you are in here, isn't it? Now I'm sitting there and I don't know how to navigate this conversation. I'm 20 years old. I'm wearing my flat bill New Era 5950 cock to the side because I thought that was the best course of direction for my life at the time. Wanted to look like Fred Durst from Limp Biscuit. And I'm thinking like, I'm like, well, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm funny. <laughs> And he, he was really kind about what he said next. He said, don't misunderstand me. It's not a bad thing to be funny. People like to laugh. Funny is good. People love to laugh. It makes them feel good to laugh. And then he stopped and he said, funny is good, but good is better. Man, he let that one hang for a minute. And I knew exactly what he was trying to say. Maybe you're destined for more than where you've settled. Maybe there's more depth to where you're at right now. And I just sat there and he looked at me and he said, do you want to be funny or do you want to be good? I said, I want to be good. I said, let's work. Let's work on being good so that we can be better. And we did for two and a half years. We worked and we worked and we worked. And I'll tell you what, up to that point in my life, nobody had ever called me out for me settling on anything in my life. And I thought this was a very rare thing. Like, this doesn't happen every day. Like, I'm the only person on earth where a professor's ever called me out for settling to my face. But it's actually not hyper rare, as it turns out. In fact, if you open up the Bible and you go to the Old Testament, this happens in Scripture. And I'm going to let you know today, we're going to be talking about a passage in the Old Testament. It's an obscure passage. It's in 2 Kings chapter 13. It's actually the basis for this book called The Last Arrow by Erwin McManus. He's a pastor and a founder of a church called Mosaic out in Los Angeles, California. The bottom of the book says, save nothing for the next life. It really aligns perfectly with what we're talking about. But in this book and in the Bible, there's this story. It's a really obscure, kind of buried story in 2 Kings chapter 13. 
If you are new to Emmanuel, we don't spend a lot of time in 2 Kings. We just don't. Not that there's anything wrong with that. We just don't hang out there a lot. And so when I was thinking about the story, when Pastor Danny and I were talking about the story, it really is interesting. And I want to kind of set the stage for what happens because it really is fascinating. There's this king, this current king of Israel named Joash. And they're currently at war with the king and the tribes of Judah, like these two warring forces. And the king of Judah is bringing his army and his forces down upon the king of Israel. And it's getting ready to get bad. They're getting ready to be invaded. And Joash, the king of Israel, starts to kind of panic a little bit, but he's got an ace in the hole. He is a prophet named Elisha. And this prophet is so highly regarded and so highly revered because of what he means to the military forces. Check out what it says in 2 Kings chapter 13. This is Joash talking to Elisha. He says, my father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. What he's saying here is, I see the core forces. of my, Like, you're the heart and soul of my military. You're more important than the soldiers, the chariots, the weapons, the charioteers, because you are a prophet. You can provide tactics and strategy that nobody else can because of your ability to see your vision. So he's vital. But there's a problem with Elisha. Elisha is on his deathbed. He's dying. Joash is getting ready to lose Elisha. And that brings us to this part of 2 Kings chapter 13. And this is where things start to get a little weird. I'll just read it to you. So Elisha, the prophet, told Joash, get a bow and some arrows. Odd request. And the king did as he was told. Elisha then told him, put your hand on the bow. And Elisha laid his own hands on the king's hand as a way to bless Joash. Then he commanded, open the eastern window. And he opened it. Then he said, shoot. So Joash shot an arrow. Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram, for you will completely conquer the Arameans at Aphek. Did you catch that? Completely conquer. That's what this arrow of the Lord symbolizes, complete and utter conquer domination of these opposing forces. And it just keeps getting stranger. Check out what it says in 2 Kings, we move a little bit further. Then Elisha said, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. Actually, I have an arrow right here. By the way, this is the second week I've been allowed to have an arrow or a weapon on stage. So as they would say in the 90s, this is pretty sick, bro. So he says, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. Why would he do that? Like, what is it going to do if I strike an arrow against the ground? Is it going to make them stronger, make them magical? Like, what are you talking about? So the king picked them up and he struck the ground three times. Okay, fine. Moves on. And then Elisha, the man of God, became angry at him. Now to make a man of God angry is difficult because a man of God typically can control that anger. They can be peaceful. They can go to God with their anger. So to get him mad in this moment, that's a tough thing to do. So he's really ticked off. He said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. He exclaimed, then you would have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. Now you will be victorious only three times. That's weird and vague, but what is he really trying to say here? And I think if you get the context of the story, I think what he's trying to say is this. And if you look at these different Bibles, it says that Elisha was mad at Joash and he was angry because of what they would describe as insufficient zeal, mediocre passion, lacking in intensity. Think about it. You, Joash, are the king of Israel. We got these opposing forces that are bearing down on us and you, a king, are the king of a kingdom. 
People look up to you. They come to you for protection. Women, children, men, you have soldiers that are depending on you. Now I give you this arrow of the Lord that is supposed to be symbolic of complete and total victory and I ask you to strike the ground and you get it three times with this pithy effort and now as a result of it, we're only gonna have three tiny infinitesimal victories instead of complete and utter domination. I wanted to conquer, I wanted to bury him, I wanted this to be done. But because of your limited thinking, because you settled, we will lose. Then Elisha died and he breathed his last. He was gone. And he was right because they didn't win the war. How do we avoid this situation? Like, how do we avoid what happened to Joash? How do we avoid this situation? How do we get, get to the point where we're not having this limiting belief on what we can do and what God can do in and through us? Because it's not about what we can do in our own strength or what Joash could do by tapping an arrow on the ground. That's not going to do it. Look, what can we really do and how can we get past this and get around this idea? Well, it's going to require the same thing from us that it should have required from Joash. We need to be able to dream a little bit bigger. We need to be daring enough to dream big. We need to be daring enough to dream big about where we're going with our lives, our purpose, what we're trying to do. We can't settle. We can't settle. Erwin McManus from the same book, The Last Arrow, he had this quote that I think fits this perfectly. He said, the greatest tragedy that I have witnessed over and over again is that we keep underestimating how much God wants to do in us and through us. This was the problem with Joash. He couldn't see it. He couldn't see what God wanted to do through him. The problem is God wanted complete victory through Joash and all Joash could provide was mediocre effort because he wasn't synced up with what God wanted for his life. He wasn't synced up with his purpose and his mission. He had no clarity, he had nothing. And so they would lose because he settled, because he quit. In Ephesians, this idea continues. In Ephesians, it says, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think, than what you might ask or think, than what Joash might ask or think. It's not about what we can do in our own strength. It's about God and what he's trying to do through us. That's gonna help us live a life of no regrets. That's gonna help us not settle. That's gonna help us to get past this current rut that we might be in. But if we're going to dream big, and if we're not going to settle, if we're truly going to live a life of no regrets, what does that require? What is this asking of us? Well, I think there's three main ideas saying. The first is this. A living a life of no regret requires that you believe it's possible. And this is an area where Joash clearly struggled. It's an area where you and I clearly struggle if we're continually and repeatedly settling. You have to believe it's possible. Man, there is a beautiful story in the book of Mark. It is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. The way that it's written and just the imagery that you, if you really allow yourself to, to fall in love with the story and read it with fresh eyes, I truly think that it can change your life. And every time I read it, it just lights me up. And I get, I get emotional sometimes when I read it just because of how beautiful it is. It's in Mark chapter five and the title of the story is Jesus Heals in Response to Faith. So to kind of set up this story for you, Jesus is in a crowd and he's surrounded by all these different people. And he's just kind of moving through the crowd. And this woman is standing within the crowd. And she's been afflicted with this terrible, terrible illness or disease. For 12 years, she's had constant bleeding. 12 years, think about that. Like, she's constantly bleeding. She's in pain. She's been to the doctors. She's been to physicians. And they can't figure anything out. They have no cure. They can't tell her anything. 
And the problem is that it just keeps getting worse. There's no hope of it ever getting better. But she knows Jesus is in the crowd. She knows about Jesus. And this is what it says in Mark 5, verse 27. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. If I, she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. She couldn't even see his face. She had no idea what he, what he looked like. She wasn't even standing in front of him. She couldn't even address him person to person. But she just knew this strong belief in the possibility of healing that if I can just get close enough, if I can just reach out and with the tip of my fingers feel the fiber of his fabric, I will be healed. So she touches the fabric. And instantaneously, like that, healed. The bleeding stops. She feels immediately better. But Jesus can feel the healing power pulled out of his body. Whoa, whoa, like who touched me? And this part is really kind of funny because it says in the book, the disciples are like, Jesus, we're standing like a crowd full. Everybody's touching you, man. Like everybody's touching you all the time. Like we're in a mosh pit of people. How can you even ask that question? But he knows because he's Jesus. And this woman knows that he knows. And so she drops to her knees right in front of him. And she's like, Jesus, I confess, I touched you. I believed in your healing powers. Like I, I did this, I, I confess. Listen to what Jesus says to this woman. Daughter. Oh, it's just so powerful to me. Like if you're a woman here today, or if you're joining us online at any of our other campuses, to have Jesus Christ address you as daughter, man, that would wreck you. Like I got, I got two little girls, six and two, and if he called, I'd be like, mm, like oh, daughter. Your faith, your belief that it was possible. We just talked about this, right? Your belief in the possibility has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. She believed it was possible. Could she have settled with that illness and that affliction for another 12 years and kept bleeding and kept being in pain and suffering? Of course she could. If some of us do that right now, because we don't believe healing is possible. We don't believe change is possible. We don't believe reconciliation is possible. We don't believe forgiveness is possible. So we sit in the relationship, we sit at the job, we sit in whatever it is and we don't change and we don't move because we don't believe. But she did. She did and she was changed forever. She was able to go in peace, blessed by Jesus Christ. Suffering was over. In another story a little bit further on in Mark, these people are crowded around this demon-possessed boy demon-possessed, like one of the worst things that could possibly happen to an individual, like a young boy. And Jesus comes on the scene and they, they start talking to him, explaining the situation. And this guy goes to Jesus and he says, heal him if you can. If you can, can you heal him? And Jesus kind of bows up a little bit. He's like, well, what do you mean if I can? Like, he starts looking at like, what do you mean if I can? Because here's the problem, like we, humanly speaking, we put limits on ourselves, we also put limits on Jesus when it comes into what is, when it comes into believing what is possible. But Jesus responds this way because Jesus knows exactly what's possible. He's not confused about who he is or what he can do or why he was sent. It's like he can't even compute it. It's like there's an error in the microchip of his brain. What do you mean if I can, Jesus asks. Anything is possible if a person believes. And the guy that said, if you can, initially said, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. And sometimes we need a little help with that, don't we? And so we go to Jesus so that Jesus can show us what is possible. He can show us what's possible. He showed this gentleman, he showed the woman who needed healing. But this isn't the only requirement when it comes to living a life where we don't settle, where we can dream a little bit bigger and where we can live a life with no regrets. There's, there's a few other requirements 
And the second one kind of builds off this. Living a life of no regret, number two in your notes, requires that you get crystal clear. Crystal clear. Crystal clear with what you want, crystal clear with where you're going, crystal clear with your purpose, whatever it might be, we have to get crystal clear. There's a fantastic story in Matthew 20 that illustrates this. These two guys are sitting on the side of the road, these two beggars, they're blind and they hear all this commotion. They can't see anything, but they hear this big crowd starting to come and they can hear people whispering and talking about Jesus. And so what do they do? They start shouting for Jesus. They're like, hey, Lord, son of David, save us. These guys are standing next to him like, hey, man, shut up. But they keep going because they, they don't want to settle. They want Jesus to say, Lord, son of David, say, save us. And they're like, hey, shut up, man. And so Jesus finally acknowledges that these guys are shouting at him from the streets. And Jesus goes directly to them. And he asks them a really interesting question. When Jesus heard them, he stopped and called, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Can I ask you a question? If Jesus were here right now, if he just rolled up on you in your campus right now or at your house or your apartment, wherever you're watching, and he asked you this exact question, what do you want me to do for you? Would you have an answer for him? Would you be able to answer that question with clarity? If not, that might indicate the level of where you're settling right now or, where, or what area of your life that you might be settling. Luckily for us, these guys were crystal clear and they give a very simple answer. Simple to understand, but not easy to do. Check out what they say to him. Lord, they said, we want to see. Now for us, that's pretty much impossible. I don't know of any one of you that could walk up and touch somebody and then they can magically see if they're blind. But for Jesus, it is possible. These guys are crystal clear. They know exactly what they want and they give it to Jesus. So Jesus felt sorry for them and he touched their eyes. Instantly they could see and they followed him. So because they were crystal clear and they knew exactly what they were able to want from Jesus so that they didn't have to settle in their current affliction, they experienced healing. And then they have a very interesting response to the healing. They don't just sit in it and say, well, thanks, Jesus, I really appreciate that. I'm gonna go look at some stuff. What they do is they decide to follow Jesus because they come to a realization about who Jesus is and what he's trying to do in their life. They realize the purpose. They realize the possibility of what it's like to follow Jesus. And so they decide to get up and move with him. Why do they do that? Because it's all about number three in your notes. Living a life of no regrets requires that you think past yourself. Think past yourself. If you're stuck in a rut and you can't stop settling, we can't get out of this current situation that we're in, maybe it's time we start to look past here and what we see in the mirror and we start to look out. We start to look at our neighbor. We start to look at our community. We start to look inside our church. We start to look outside our church, the needs of people and how I can serve those needs so I don't have to settle where I am currently. In Philippians, it talks about this idea a little bit more. It says, don't look out for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Take an interest in others. These guys, when they receive their healing, like, man, I'm gonna follow Jesus because what's Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second commandment is equal. Love your, neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, love my neighbor. I'm gonna follow him. I'm gonna take an interest in others. I'm gonna love people. I'm gonna think of people. Luckily for us, we have an amazing story about a guy named Bob Goff. Danny was sharing this with me. There's a TED Talk on this story. You can watch it on YouTube if you want. And I'm just gonna warn you, especially if there's kids in the crowd today, Younger, younger students, this is kind of graphic. And if you're a little queasy, I apologize, but I gotta tell this story. 
So Bob Goff is a writer, he's a, a Christian, and he's a guy who loves people, constantly taking an interest in others, constantly loving other people really, really well. One of his goals in his life is to solve an armed conflict between two parties. Solve an armed conflict. One of my goals and one of my ambitions in my life is to go to Taco Bell with three bucks and get two things off the dollar menu. Our ambitions are not the same. A little different. So this guy, Bob Goff, goes to Eastern Africa. He goes to Uganda. And when he gets to Uganda, he learns something horrifying. He learns that there are witch doctors in the area who are dismembering people Children, men, women, doesn't matter. They're removing their limbs, they're cutting their limbs off, and they are trafficking the limbs. You've heard of sex trafficking, you've heard of human trafficking, the buying and selling of people, which is horrifying in its own right. Like these are people selling limbs. Limbs, like hand, like all, like all these different things. It's horrifying to think about. And nobody would do anything about it. Nobody would prosecute. None of the judges wanted to do anything about it. Like when Bob Goff would go to these different judges in the communities and be like, man, like you think we want to do this? You think I want some witch doctor selling my hand on eBay? You're out of your mind. No way. So nobody would touch it. But it's, Bob Goff said he found one scrappy judge that would partner with him and a little boy named Charlie who was able to identify a witch doctor named Cobby in the area. So Bob Goff and this judge, they get together and they, they decide to prosecute and they make it stick and they convict this witch doctor and they, he is sentenced to 50 years in prison. It's the first conviction of any kind like that in Eastern Africa. Because Bob Goff was able to take an interest in other people and step outside of his comfort zone and his little safety net, I mean, this was insanely dangerous to do. He could have been hurt. He could have been dismembered. But it didn't matter because he took an interest in others. He decided to look outside of himself, to think past himself, and to partner with the community and help the people where he could. It's an amazing story. But this is, these are big ideas. These are big things to discuss. Like you're telling me I gotta believe that it's possible. Like you're telling me I gotta get crystal clear. Man, you're telling me I gotta think past myself. Like practically speaking, where do I start with it? Like where do I even begin? Well, humbly speaking, I think a very practical place for you to start would be to start with Jesus. I think starting with Jesus would be excellent because Jesus gives us a very, a very strong jumping off point. Check it out. This is what Jesus says. It says, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. To serve who? To serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's this idea of thinking past yourself. It just continues to follow Jesus, to go where he's going. Because if we truly follow Jesus and we start with him, Man, we're not going to go anywhere that he hasn't been first. And he's going to be with us the entire time as we're trying to get out of the settlement point in our life, as we're trying to live with these regrets and leave these regrets behind and try to do things just a little bit differently. It continues in this next verse, this idea of starting with Jesus and following him. It says, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. So if we're going to serve Jesus, I have to follow him. I have to obey him. And where I am, my servant will also be. So if I'm going to be with Jesus, I need to think like him, treat people like him, respond like him, talk like him. I need to love other people like Jesus. And if I can start there, then maybe I can get out of this point of settlement. Maybe I can dream a little bit bigger. Maybe I can live a life with no regrets if I can just get to this place in my life. Bob Goff, the guy we were just talking about, talks about this list of ambitions that Jesus Christ had. Listen to what he had to say. He said, take a look at what Jesus had on his list of ambitions and lift a few onto yours. His list wasn't very long, but it changed the world forever. You know what was on that list of ambitions? People. People, it was real short. Save people, serve people, 
and love people. You lift a few of those ambitions onto your own list of the ambitions for your life and you start thinking past yourself and your own success and your own promotion and your own relationship or whatever it might be and you start thinking of others and you get a little bit more crystal clear on what you want and what you want to be and how you want to follow Jesus and you believe that change is possible, man, I think we can live a life with no regrets. I think we can dream a little bit beyond where we are right now, collectively, all of us together. So my question to you today is we think about dreaming a little bit. Will you be daring enough to dream big? Will you do the opposite of what Joe Ash did? Will you stop thinking down here and will you pick the arrow up and instead of tapping it on the ground three times and thinking, eh, it's probably good enough, will you go beyond that? Will you be passionate? Will you believe that it's possible to change? Will you get crystal clear on what you want in your life and what you want from Jesus and what you want out of that relationship and Will you think past yourself? Today, we have so many different things to celebrate. We have so many amazing things happening. Maybe none more so amazing than baptism. We're getting ready to celebrate baptism in just a moment. But before we do that, being that this is a throwback weekend, we have a, a little bit of a throwback baptism video. It's from our friend Jeannie. And in this video, she's not been baptized recently. She's been baptized over 10 years ago. But we want you to listen to her words and hear what she has to say about what it's been like to be baptized and what life has been like since that moment. My name is Jeannie McCullough, and I've been coming to Emmanuel for about nine and a half years. I was baptized in my early 20s. Um, before I was baptized, before I found Jesus, I was searching to fill empty voids in my life and trying to fill them up with anything that I could. Um, dating guys, uh, alcohol, just trying to fill it with people mostly and to find some kind of a satisfaction and a fulfillment that would make me feel worthwhile. But I came up empty until I found Jesus and I then was baptized and was able to walk forward in my walk with him. My baptism experience um, was a couple years after I had accepted Jesus and I just was growing and starting to read my Bible and realized that there was a next step and that the next step in my faith walk was to be baptized and to show the world that I had chosen Jesus to be my Savior. So I moved forward um, in the church that I was in at the time and um, was baptized. I was probably about 23. After I was baptized and uh, still was continuing to seek the Lord and grow in Him, um, my life changed. I felt like I had direction and purpose. I definitely knew that I was on the right track. Um, I had had a lot of troubles before I had accepted Christ, and I can't say that all those troubles went away because that's just not how life works, but I never had to walk through them alone. He was always there with me and guiding me, directing me, carrying me, comforting me, sending people into my life to help me, um, putting me in a community of believers that supported me. It was life-changing. If I hadn't chosen to accept Jesus as my Lord and seek out to live the baptized life, 
I can't even begin to fathom what life would have been like. As I look back on the past 35 years with him, I see all the hardship and the troubles and the good too, but the, the times that life would have been impossible without the support, the grace, the forgiveness, the love, the hope that he brought into my life. If I could encourage any of you to do anything, it would be to seek out Jesus. What he has for you is beyond what you can comprehend. That's what I found. Seeking him, accepting him, and being baptized, walking through that, and then continuing to walk with him for the years that I have. As I look back, I cannot imagine what life would be like if I would have chosen differently. And I encourage you to do the same because no one wants to walk alone. No one wants to be in a situation where you don't have direction or purpose. And that's something he has for you. You can stay standing. I just need like three minutes. I guess if you're online, you can sit down and you can cheat. I'm not going to know. What we just saw was a group of people who on their list of ambitions, it was to publicly step out and proclaim that they want to be baptized so that they can show their church, they can show their brothers and sisters, the congregation, that they want to follow Jesus Christ with everything in their heart. That's what we just witnessed. And we talk about Jesus Christ's list of ambitions just a moment ago, and we said it was real short. We said that on his list of ambitions, it was just people. But to say that it's just people and leave it at that almost cheapens it a little bit because your name was at the top of that list. Your name, your first and your last name, circled, underlined, highlighted with a Sharpie highlighter until the ink started to run. And the reason that your name was at the top is because Jesus Christ loved you more than anything. He loved you so much that he had this perfect sinless life that he could have lived. He had all the power in the world afforded to him by God. And instead what he chose to do as the ultimate act of sacrifice and love, he chose to die for you, for your name, your first and last name on that list of ambitions. He died so that you wouldn't have to spend eternity apart from him, apart from God. He took the penalty of your sin, the penalty of your regret, of your settling, of your shame, whatever it might be, he took that penalty when he took the nails. And it wasn't just that, Jesus Christ rose from the grave. He conquered death, he conquered sin through his resurrection. You can place your faith, you can place your trust and your hope in that today. And you can spend eternity with him. If you beg for forgiveness for your sins, saying, if that's something that you would like to do, I'm gonna say a simple prayer. And what I want you to do, if this is you right now, and if this is your moment online, any of our campuses right here at Greenwood, I want you to take this prayer. And I want you to take these words and make them your own. You go directly to Jesus Christ. And if you're joining us online today or here at the Greenwood campus or any campus, and you've already made this decision, please pray for the brother or sister next to you who's getting ready to make this decision. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, some guy just told me what you did for me. Man, he told me that you died for me on a cross. And Jesus, he told me why. He told me that you did this to cover the penalty of my sin. He told me that I don't have to spend eternity apart from you. He said you rose from the grave three days later and that you conquered the penalty of sin and death. Jesus, I come to you 
And I place my faith and my trust in this beautiful sacrificial act. I acknowledge what you've done. I love you. Please forgive my sins. Wash me, cleanse me, show me what it is to live with you and for you. Jesus, it is in your name that I humbly pray. And we all said, we got a lot of celebrating that we've done this weekend, but none more so than this. Can we celebrate for these people that made this decision? Yes, love it. Woo! Left my sweat rag in my chair. I shouldn't have done that. Hey, if you've just prayed this prayer, we are so happy for you. You made the best decision in the world and we wanna celebrate with you. If you send us a text, to 65248. If you text the word SAVED, we're gonna send you a box. If you're online, drop it in the comments. If you're at the physical campus, fill out that form. Go to the info desk in the lobby and our impact team members will hook you up. Inside this box, we got a New Believers New Testament Bible so you can get started on your journey with Jesus Christ. We've also got a coffee mug in here to, as our way of saying congratulations for this amazing decision. Can we give it up one more time for what God is doing in this church? Ah, it's so exciting. Man. Okay, thank you very much for joining us. And before we dismiss to local teams, I'm gonna pray and then we'll kick it off to the local teams for all the campuses for dismissal. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much. Thank you so much for these amazing stories and these amazing passages from the Bible. Thank you for illuminating these points for us through your inspired word. We love you so much. Help us to get out of this point of settlement. Help us to live with no regrets and help us to dream a little bit bigger and aspire to be just like you, to love like you, to care for people like you do. Help us to live in a way that honors and glorifies you. It is in your name we humbly pray. And we all said, Amen. Hey, if you're at the other campuses, we're going to hand it off to the local teams. God bless you. See you next week. Bring a friend.